Yo, guys, I could name any Bud Light Chelada flavor just by hearing the description. Nah. No way. Yeah, right. I don't believe you. Jamie, I could do the same thing, all right? I don't know what you're talking about. What? Both of you guys? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that, Frank. Sorry. Wait a minute. Hold up. This sounds like to me a Bud Light Chelada challenge. Yeah. Here we go. I'm ready. Okay, I'm very happy to host this because I don't believe either of y'all. Alright, so here we go. And also, you know I love fake game shows. Alright, so first flavor. I am refreshing with extra zest. Ah, that's too easy. That's extra lime. Oh my god, how did you how did you know that? Um, I have a gift. Wow. Oh, wow, okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna do another one because I'm still not in the lead. Okay, this flavor is refreshing with a tropical twist. Oh, wait, wait, I got it, I got it. A ma mango, mango. Frank, man, you go, because you got yeah. it right. I <laughs> believe this. What am I witnessing? Some kind of extraordinary brilliance? Okay, I got to do one more, because now we need a tiebreaker. Yeah, we yeah. need a Bud Light Shelada Challenge tiebreaker. Here bring we go. On, Rachel. Go. Okay, oh, I'm going to bring it. Here we go. This flavor is refreshing with an extra kick from fiery spices like tapatillo. Fuego. Fuego. You guys, you said it at the same time. I could we could we instant uh, replay the tape in slow mo so I could hear who the real winner is. Fuego. Fuego. Well, there you have it. We have a clear winner. Congrats to Jamie for uh, being our Fortnite yeah. challenge winner. Yes! Oh my god, Jamie, as the winner, do you have any like words that you want to share with our audience? Yes, I do, Rachel. Bud Light Chelada, refresh the celebration. Sonoro. The Latinos Out Loud Podcast. Part of the show here at Latinos Out Loud where we interview someone er amazing. Oh my goodness, we're so excited to have this gentleman on the show. It's been a long time coming. We've been working with his calendar and his people, and we are so excited to finally have two-time Emmy Award-winning producer and writer Peter Murrieta, people. Put your hands together. This is a moment. This is a moment for us at Latinos Out Loud. We're so proud of what you're doing out there, Peter. We watch your your products, your shows, and to have you to talk about it here on the show. Bienvenido. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Gracias. I, I um, you know, I, I listen to you, too. And uh, when you called me, I was like, oh, yeah, my my assistant was like, there's these people or you talk to my agent. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know who they are. I know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was so exciting. Just to paint the historical picture here, you guys, Clubhouse, if you're not on it, you're sleeping under some sort of magma or rock. <laughs> or you or you just have an Android. Um, or you have an Android. That's or right. you have an Android, yeah. Ouch. Zing. <laughs> well, that is how I actually heard the voice of Peter Murrieta through a wonderful room on Clubhouse. Um, he's in L.A., so it was probably late here. In 
New York time, but a light bulb went off in my head as I was hearing him talk about his experience and sharing knowledge with us in that room. I was like, this is a guest for the Latinos Out Loud podcast. If I've ever heard one in my life, (laughs) our listeners need to hear this and, and through this medium. So Peter, thank you for connecting with me and for being supporters of ours. I don't even know what to say, you guys, that's huge. Well, it's easy to do. It's easy. By the way, let's start off with that. The easiest thing to do is support each other. The easiest thing to do. Right. Right. So we got to do more of that for starters. For sure. Well, let's start chronologically, if you will, with this interview. If you could tell the listeners briefly, because I did not do the introduction of what you do for a living any justice. You're an Emmy award winning producer and writer. Could you shed some light on what that is and highlight some of your experience so everybody here knows what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I'll do the very, I'll try to go brief and get you caught up quick. But, um, you know, we were talking before we went on air, you know, my dad is from Sonora. He was an immigrant. Um, I grew up in Tucson. I went to the University of Arizona at University of Arizona. I had a teacher, college professor who uh, made me go to her office because I had written a paper and she didn't give me a grade and I thought I was in trouble. And she said, "Um, I don't know how to grade this. But um, it's the funniest paper on existentialists I've ever read in my life. And but you have no bibliography. You've got no sources. You have no thesis. Like, what's wrong with you? And uh, and I was like, I don't know what to do. But she introduced me to some sketch comedy group on campus. And I started writing for them. And then from there, I went to Chicago and uh, I I had seen a, a comedy troupe called The Second City. They were touring in Arizona. They came and did a show. Someone told me, young me you can make a living doing that. And I was like, Oh, what? So I packed up all my shit and uh, two army duffel bags and drove across country in January to a place I'd never been where I'd never experienced winter in my life, desert boy. And I arrived in Chicago in January. And uh, I, uh, I was there for five years. I auditioned and got into the company there, which was a shock to me. Um, I got to study with Del Close, who's an amazing guru of improv, who's passed on. I feel so blessed that, you know, me and my uh, compatriots were some of the last to take classes with him. Um, I was in Second City. Um, I guess the most um, two important things that came out of that is I met my wife. She was an actress there and uh, we got married in Chicago. And uh, uh, and then I went to L.A. Uh, and when I got to LA, I got into something called the Disney ABC writers fellowship, which still exists. And, um, I, uh, I got in there and after a year there, I got an agent and a manager and started getting jobs. And I worked on the following shows that you may or may not know from the dinosaur age. I worked on a Greg Giraldo show called common law, you know, rest in peace, Greg. He was amazing comic. Um, I worked on a show called Three Sisters. I worked on a show called Hope and Faith, all just as writers for other people. And then in 2002, I got a chance to create my own show. And that was Greetings from Tucson. And that was about me as a boy and my my mixed race parents and my family and me growing up. And uh, I did that. And then I, um, I've also uh, uh, was the showrunner and uh, head writer 
for Wizards of Waverly Place on hey. Disney Channel. Wow. Yeah. That's where I got yeah. my Emmys. That's uh, where Selena yeah. Gomez got her start. Mm. So I did that for about three seasons. And uh, and then uh, I did a show for Cartoon Network called Level Up. That was the starting point for a couple of awesome actors. Jesse Usher, who's in uh, The Boys on Amazon. Uh, he plays A-Train. He's a fucking badass oh, dude. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Amy uh, Carrero, who is in like the voice of She-Ra and the voice of Eleanor of Avalor. And she's just awesome. So they got their start in that show. And um, and most recently, I've been doing um, Mr. Glacius on Netflix. Yes, yes. We are yeah. huge We went, fans. we went, we went to the, we went when we were in L.A. with uh, Rachel and, and uh, Juan Bago. We went to uh, the, we went to the show. Oh, my God. That's great. That's great. Which shout episode? out to Julia. Julia Grobe invited us. So shout out to writer Julia. Nice. I yeah. love Julia. I love Julia. What episode did you see? Do you remember? Do you remember? I don't know what episode it was. Um, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it was so cool. It was amazing. It was a, such an amazing experience. We were. I mean, what a trip. That was. That was something else. It was. I do remember a piece of the show. It was like the pre-summer school episode, and like one the the young boy who oh my god those kids are so talented. Oh my god, oh, Fabrizio! Holy, He's holy so good. moly! He's so good. So I feel like there was something that I think he was afraid that he was going to get left back or something. If I'm not uh, mistaken, I got you. I got you. Okay, it was well, wonderful, Peter. So, it was so that show. Uh, we wrapped up in February and um, and uh, I just started in a room last week on a new show. Uh, can't say the title, can't say where it's from, but it's going to be super dope and really fun. Um, and uh, I've also sold a couple movies recently, been doing the movie wow. thing. Um, Congrats. Yeah. So uh, and then just last week, I, I um, closed a, a deal to do a first look deal at Universal and TV. So what? I'm bringing them like and stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. Okay, in post production, please sound the air horns if you can. <laughs> yeah. Can we get trumpets or something? Thank oh. you. Yeah. Amazing. So anyway, that's the short, very quick bio. It gives people a chance to think about and hear who I am and what I've done. And uh, you know, I, I would say when I look back on it, um, and then I'll let you ask me whatever you want. But when I look back on it. Um, I, I was at a, a conference maybe four years ago, and it was a conference up in Ojai. It was very fancy. My agent told me, you can't, you can't wear what you usually wear. Like, <laughs> you, you have to go to Nordstrom Rack on the way Ooh. to oh, like, wow, get a dress shirt, for God's sakes, and a pair of pants. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So I got a nice shirt and a pair of pants and I had to get dress shoes, all these things I don't have. And uh, <laughs> I got to the conference and we were all at dinner and it was called um, Amplify. And it was all about not just entertainment, but sports and business and medicine, like different people of color coming together to just share their stories. It was really cool. Really cool. Um, and so I'm at dinner and there's this woman seated next to me and she is uh, was Anita Hill, famous Anita Hill. Yes, um, yes. Her college roommate and also a entertainment lawyer right next to me. And so she says, uh, let's go around and introduce, introduce each other. And I was like, oh, I'm Peter. Uh, you know, I'm a writer and a producer. And she goes, wrong. And I'm like, what? And she said, 
I looked you up when I saw you're going to read my table. Wow. And she said, if you don't start every introduction with, I've been putting brown people in front of the camera and behind the camera for 20 years, then you're not doing it right. And I was like, oh, and that was a strong black woman. So I have to listen to her. Right. Mm. So I was like, (laughs) all right. All right. And I've taken her words and I say them now because I feel like if you look me up, that's what I've been doing. It's not just talk. So um, that's that's the me of it. Wow. That's awesome. Peter, um, you know, being, uh, you know, me and Rachel uh, started in a sketch group. Right. And 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 writing we've written, we performed. um, And now we're also writing, you know, longer form stuff and stuff. I want to know what's the biggest difference. What was the biggest difference for you switching from being in a Second City sketch kind of world to writing for TV? It was learning about story, right? Mm. My first couple of jobs in TV were jobs to go tell jokes. They were like, go on this show and go there a couple days a week. I worked on two different shows at the same time. So I had a, a job that would pay me for four days a week, but on two different shows. And it was like, go to their run through and go to their tape night and give them jokes. And that was all I was doing. And I came from the sketch world and it was great, but I would go to the rewrites and I'd sit there while they were doing their job of fixing the script. And I started to learn that. And I was like, Oh, if I can figure story out, I could get a five day a week job somewhere. Like that was just very small incremental things for me. And so I listened a lot and I remember buying a couple of screenplay books and, you know, Robert McKee's story and uh, a book uh, uh, by Sid Field called screenplay. They're both ancient now. And I don't even know if they're appropriate. Like if there's how, stories get told now, but I soaked it up. And then, you know, when I got my opportunity to go to work on a show, um, I really learned a lot about story. And that was kind of the difference. Mm. You know, Peter, I just want to like go back to what you just mentioned about putting BIPOC in front of the camera for 20 years. My God, I got like chills on my elbows when I heard that because mm-hmm. you are carrying a huge weight on your shoulders. I would like to delve into how you maneuver the industry with that on your back, an industry that can we be frank? Is still it's still not ours. Yeah, no. Listen, we're going for it. But I know. I'd like to hear. I, I, I will say a couple of things about that. Thank you for uh, the question and the and the observation. And I, I would say that when Greetings from Tucson was canceled, so it lasted a full year. I got a, a what's called a back nine order. So the big victory for me was we did the thirteen, and we did well enough for them to say go make the back nine the full season, and then after the full season they they were done right, and um. It was a weird phone call from the network because, uh, and I don't know how often this happens, but they called me, the president, uh, and I remember I was standing in my my laundry room and he's like, yeah, we're canceling the show. um, And, you know, we just couldn't get it done. We couldn't get the pickup. Um, And I always find it funny when the the boss says we couldn't get it done because everything in your body wants to say like, bro, you, you couldn't get it done. You're the guy. (laughs) Like what, what is this weenie shit? (laughs) <laughs> but but you just take it, right? You take it. You're gracious. And he said, now I want to do this. It's awkward, but I want to, I want to either hang up and call you right back. Or can we do it on the same call Is I want you to go be a producer and a writer on this show all about the Andersons. It was Anthony Anderson's first show. And it's the show that we're picking up. And I, I want you on the network still. And I was like, oh, okay. So I was kind of interesting. But then I had an opportunity to develop my next couple of things, right? So I remember going to my agent's office and they were like, what do you want to do next? 
And there was, when you talk about a burden on my shoulders, and I and I might be wrong to have put it there, but I remember being in my agent's office and they were like, you know, there's a couple of things you could do and maybe you can do a thing about this part of your life, you can do a thing about this part of your life. And something to me just was like, well, I think I got to develop something Latino. And they were like, you don't have to, right? Your mom's white. <laughs> and I was like... Right. And I was like, I don't know, man. I feel at that point in 2003, I was like, I don't know who else is in the comedy space that's doing it. And, you know, Mm. later in life, your friend Julia pointed out to me, she said, you know, when I did some like looking up online, like, you know, like Desi Arnaz co-created a comedy. Wow. And then like Que Pasa USA was Mm. created by a a Latino writer. And then your ass in Greetings from Tucson in 2002. And like between that, there have been Latino shows, but not created by a Latino on a network. Wow. And so I was like, oh, shit. But I didn't know that then. I just made some sort of gut feeling of like, no, I got to go pitch these things. You know, these guys this is important. And so I've done, you know, I, I sold a show to the NBC they didn't make about military recruiters. It was about a Mexican guy and a black guy working in a recruiter office. I've I've kept the fight going, but it's a it's hard. And, you know, and the, the dark joke I, I tell myself sometimes and I almost said it when you brought it up is like, I know how we're doing because I don't have a big ass house. <laughs> mm. Let me tell you that right now. I do not have a big ass house. I and love so, that gauge. Uh, right. I'm like, God damn, I just need a big ass. So I, I, I I'm not giving up yet. And uh, I'm super excited to be working with a studio because my entire career up till now, I've not had to deal with a studio. I've always gone each project, one project at a time. I remember seeing young writers in like a waiting room at NBC that maybe I'd come spoke to their group and they would see me there. And I remember one woman was like, oh shit, I can't believe I'm going in to pitch my comedy. And then you're going to go in and you've got your resume. And I just started. And I would always say to them like, dude, who knows? The idea could win. It doesn't matter. But I always felt like, Shouldn't shouldn't I have a place that I could say to that writer, like, come on, I'll be the producer. You write it and we'll go in together. And now I think I have that. So I'm very excited about it. Does a Latino centric when a Latino centric show um, isn't successful, right? Does that like does that affect do you feel the pressure like if if it was one of your shows, do you feel the pressure that you now they're not going to put out a bunch of Latino shows going forward? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And it is hard. And, you know, I'll give you an anecdote about that when um, I and I get so sad. I can't remember which one it was that was canceled because everyone gets canceled. Right. Sometimes you get canceled five, six, seven, eight seasons in and sometimes not. And very occasionally you get to say we're going out on our terms. Very occasionally. But I had an occasion to have something that I was on not get picked up. And um, I posted something about it online. And then uh, George Lopez texted me and he and I have a relationship that I don't want to oversell. Like I'd say we text each other a few times a year. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? But he texted me and he goes, I know it hurts brother because we get so few chances and it stings a lot more than just the normal. Oh, we'll get him next time. So it is something that we all talk about and it is a responsibility we have to like leave no stone unturned and, you know, make sure that if you go out that you leave the door open in some way and it's hard, but you're right. It's, it's pressure that other people don't have. Right. Wow. 
Yeah. P- Peter, is there, uh, is there, is it because the time is not right for, for, for that, for that to happen? Or is it the perfect script hasn't come up? Or, or is there something missing that they're, um, that they're looking for that we haven't given to them? I think we're caught in a lot of different vortexes. I mean, it's a great question. Um, I don't want to turn it into 60 minutes piece here, but I'll tell you quickly, like here's some of the vortexes we're caught in. I think there are some well-meaning people that want to help us. I think some of those well-meaning people only know us through the trauma of our stories. They don't know us as people that have an awesome podcast yeah, man. or somebody that works at a bank or whatever. They know us as we're the people that have, you know, a family that pulls themselves up or a family that yeah. come across the border. Um, the, they know us that way. And so even though their heart's in the right place, that's the stories they kind of gravitate towards. And then when they come in, they don't hit the way they should. That's some of it. That's one vortex. I think another vortex is, um, this feeling that we don't have a lot of people on the other side of the table that are buying shows that look like us. Mm. So that's a problem. I think that um, studios and networks, and I'm not going to name them, but like there's a giant studio that just announced they were going to do a big deal for Latinos. Like we want to put 10 shows into development and we mean it and we're very aggressive. And within a month and a half, you know, by the time I got over there to pitch them something, they were like, well, we're not doing that. We're kind of doing something else. And so I, I just think that there's just not a lot of walk to a lot of people's talk. And um, it's a bummer. But that's those are some of the things I see. And then I do think you're right about the script hitting at the right time, which is the thing that any pilot goes through, regardless of what it's about, timing. And I, I, I think I stopped about three or four years ago um just to prove that an old guy can learn some shit still (laughs) i remember um four or five four years ago me and five colleagues all latin writers all had pilots all at the same network because the network had said we really committed to this and then they didn't pick up any of the five wow and i to shoot let alone series like just shoot a pilot and I remember that year, what I learned is I had always thought that um, imposter syndrome, literally, I'd lived my entire life till five years ago. And I thought, oh, I know what imposter syndrome is. Imposter syndrome is when you just kind of worry that maybe you're somewhere you don't belong. And so I was sort of talking to somebody, it might have even been Julia. And she was like, no, dummy. It's when you feel like, oh, did I not write it well enough? Is it me? Am I the reason why this didn't happen? And I was like, oh, shit. Well, then I've been having that. And, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, well, I don't think we have to do that anymore. If none of our pilots get picked up, they can't all have sucked. And and you just have to look at whatever the policy of the institution is and say, like, you know, in that year, they picked up a pilot by a white writer that had a lead that was based on this writer's life. And this writer was married to a Mexican-American woman. And so she became a character in the show created by a white guy. And that's not the same as a story about us by us at all, right? But someone over there thought, hey, we did it, we did it. So I, I, this is getting really, um, it's just, 
opening so many realities to me and that we have a lot of work to do. And and Peter, now seeing the trajectory of your career, knowing that there are a lot of aspiring writers, future producers that are listening to this podcast, how what tips and tricks could you drop on how to best navigate faster, more efficiently, and to get these decision makers that we need in the decision making suites of the corporate offices faster? How do we get there? Great question. <laughs> All right. Here's my battle plan. My battle plan is this. Um, don't worry about them. If you're starting out, worry about your story, write your story, then write another one, then try to get traction somewhere, agent, manager, getting stuff going. But while that's happening, write another one. If you're a writer, you should be writing. You don't need anybody's permission to do that. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. Write. If you write three, by the time you're done writing that third one, I guarantee you, you're going to go, hey, if I read that first one again, I bet I know how to make that better. Because I've learned something myself, right? I've shared it with my friends. We've read it out loud. I think I know something better about how to fix that first one, right? Do that too. Don't let them tell you that it doesn't work. And I don't mean digging in and I don't mean getting cynical. I'm going to give you an example. I wrote a pilot seven years ago and it was for a network. I had a star attached. Um, network decided not to go for it, okay? Two years ago, so five years after that, I'm sitting around and I'm reading it because somebody wanted a sample for a job I was up for. And I read this pile and I was like, this is funny. This is good. You know, sometimes you pick up old stuff that you wrote and you're like, this is terrible. I don't want to look at it. Somewhere. I don't want to see it. I can't believe I did it. Did I show it to people? It's embarrassing that is. Right? The talk the talking dog is out oh, of place. Oh. Right. You know, and then and then sometimes you read something and the converse happens where you go like, hey, where'd that guy go? That guy had so much drive and vision and he wasn't cynical and he was writing from his heart. Like, where the fuck did that guy go? And so <laughs> I it was one of those ones where I read it and I was like, this is good. And I'm going to tell you what I did with it, because I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know who's going to want it. So I called my friend who I see at all the comic conventions. And I said, Dave, you write comic books. I want to pitch you a comic book because I want to do a comic book. And I pitched him the book and he was like, well, that's weird. I was just talking to Starburns, which is the Rick and Morty people. They also have a comic book press. And he was like, I think they might be interested in publishing that. And I was oh. like, great, let's get on the phone with them. So we got on the phone with them and I pitched them the book, the comic book. And they were like, we want to do that. We will publish that. Obviously, you have a lot of credits. We'd be excited to do this with you. And I'm a lifelong comic book fan. And I was like, this is me, my first comic. Got an artist. And the book comes out May 26th. First issue. Wow. In comic book stores. Issue two is with the artist right now. And we're doing it. So, like, I found a way to get that story out of me into the hands of an audience. Wow. So you don't need to wait for them, right? And the book and now you'll I'll tell you what it's about and you'll see why it was a good comic book. The book is called Rafael Garcia Henchman. And it's the story of a low-level henchman who works for a supervillain and is trying to get back together with his ex by getting a promotion in the organization and proving to her that he's not a fucking layabout. 
so it was a book. I was like, this is a natural comic book, right? It's a guy who works for a supervillain who we never see, by the way. And um, and so it translated to that medium really, really well. And I love that it's still Rafael Garcia, right? See? It's still you. That's still <laughs> you're still repping. You're still putting a main character in a in a, in a genre that. And the original probably, inspiration yeah. for the original script was taking my boys, Joaquin and, and Daniel, to see all the Marvel movies and having them go like, "Hey, Dad, where are the Mexicans?" Oh. <laughs> And I would be like, I don't know, bro. And I, the joke in our family used to be, I would go, well, you know, at the end there, when they're at the Avengers headquarters, that lawn looks real good. Oh, snap. I bet somebody mowed that lawn real good. Oh, man. <laughs> and so that's what I used to tell him, and we would laugh. And now I got a comic book, Rafael Garcia. He's in it. So That's great. So, guys, here in Latinos Out Loud, you know, we're here to talk about a little fast food restaurant called McDonald's. Yes. You may have heard of it. Ooh, yeah. You know, the Golden Arches. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was excited when I heard that uh, they're one of our sponsors. Oh. Because I grew up with McDonald's, okay? And I I remember I remember the first time I had McDonald's. It's crazy. Like, I remember the image. When I was younger, I used to like everything plain, right? I just, I don't like anything on it. So I just had a plain McDonald's hamburger. It had nothing on it. It was just the bread and the meat. You know, I was like, not even ketchup, right? Um, and I was hooked. I was hooked as a kid to the McDonald's hamburger. Um, I wanted to be the hamburglar after that. I wanted to have a life of hamburger <laughs> crime <laughs> after eating one. It's not too Mc- late, Jamie. It's yeah. not too late. <laughs> it's not too late. It's not too late. It's never too late. Um, but look, you know, I've since graduated. As an adult, I've graduated to, you know, I don't only just eat plain hamburgers now. I go to McDonald's. I get I get the hookup, right? I get the Big Mac. Yeah. Or I get the quarter pounder with cheese. Yeah. Uh, but I still my the image of that plain hamburger just as a kid is always gonna stick with me. I don't I don't know about you guys. Um Frank, I you you're looking at me. You you must have a story of where you first had McDonald's. Guys, I, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna take you back into the day being the older of us three. I remember Ooh. going to McDonald's and going out with my parents and my brothers and siblings and having to dress in our Sunday best to go to McDonald's. So I wow, have the okay. Yeah, I have the wow, best memories, man. Frank. Come on, McDonald's back then, man. You dressed up. It was it was an occasion. It was a real occasion. Yeah, I don't th- I don't know about now. I see I see a lot of poorly dressed people now, you know what I mean? <laughs> people like coming from home in their PJs just getting a burger and then going back home. Um, Rachel, what about you? Well, you know, growing up in a Dominican household, the food takes forever to cook, you know? Like, <laughs> you're waiting nine hours for a bite of a plátano maduro, and, you know, mommy todavía, she's like, eh, it's no ready yet. I'm like, God, I'm so hungry. So when I went to McDonald's for the first time as a kid, I was like, wait, fast food? What, what you mean I'm going to get my food fast? Wow. Like, we order it, and then I get it within a few minutes? So that concept was very foreign to me, but also the smell. You know, again, growing up in that household, smelling yuca all day, mm-hmm. and then going to this place and smelling that delicious scent of those French fries, mm. freshly fried, and then put into that envelope of greatness and stuffed into the Happy Meal. Ah, oh, brings me back to such marvelous times. 
But yeah, that that's fast food was something new and something I'm still sort of grasping, being the daughter of an immigrant. This is wow. That was. I mean, right now I, I'm I'm really enjoying us be a fast food flashbacking right now. Wow, I like that. Um, but um, but I think you know it's clear there's a meal for every moment at a McDonald's uh, when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, mm. ten piece chicken nuggets, yeah, filet fish, Ooh. or quarter pounder with cheese. All right, and you can get another now at McDonald's for a dollar. What? So you buy one, yep, you buy one of your favorites of the ones I just listed, and you get another for a dollar. This is what's happening right now at McDonald's. So go to McDonald's today and get all your favorites with McDonald's. Buy one, get one for a dollar deal for a limited time at participating McDonald's. That's incredible. Yo, I gotta give you another shout out for like, I guess, you know, putting the ingredients together of what you love and your passions. And now you're giving back because you're a teacher at Arizona State University. Okay, you must be one of those cool professors. Like, do you walk in with like a Starbucks and like a vape? Or like, how does it go down in Mr. Murrieta's class? All right, well, um, that's a great question. Um, I have been dressing like a baseball coach who just got out of the bus to ask for directions at the Cracker Barrel for many years. I've got my, I've got my, my Nike shorts on. I've got a three quarter hoodie. I got a cap. I got my uh, Adidas. Like it looks to me like I'm going to the batting cage. Um, So when I first started at Arizona state for the first month or so, I was like, all right. I, so I would put on a nice Pendleton. I'd put on my five Oh ones. I'd wander into class, but as soon as I realized I was good there, I was like, well, I'm going to, that's it. I'm that guy. So I am that guy that comes into class like that. And that's kind of how it works. And nobody said anything yet. So uh, I'm going to keep it rolling until somebody shows up, but I do have panic. Like sometimes the Dean will be like, Hey, I want to go to lunch with you. And I'm like, Oh, damn, what am I going to do? But, but he's slowly starting to see who I really am. And he's cool with it so far. And what are you teaching at the school? I'm teaching screenwriting, TV writing. Um, I teach development. Um, um, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, and I took the job for the same reasons we've been talking. Like I, I used to teach at AFI um, here in L.A. And uh, Arizona State started recruiting me. And they're like, you're an Arizona boy. We want you home. We want to have a professor who is, uh, you know, a person uh, of color and has got a history and we want you to be an example to our student body. And they just kept after me. And I really resisted for a couple of years. I was like, I-, I got too much to do out in LA. But then it just made sense to me because I feel like I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how else to accelerate and go back to my battle plan. Step three of my battle plan is to overwhelm Los Angeles with numbers. Like we've got a film school in Arizona now that's gone from like 500 to 900 people and wow. might crest over 1100 in the next couple of years. We're getting our Oof. own building in Mesa that they're building for the film school. We just got named um, the Sydney Portier New American Film School. Right. Sydney's family was like, we know what this is about. This is about elevating. And so I just feel like part of the battle plan is to overwhelm Los Angeles with numbers. Like, all right, we're sending another hundred out there. Good luck. Nice. Good luck telling no to everybody. 
Nice. Yo, you know what's so dope about that too is that like we talked about your 20 years of putting BIPOC in front of and behind of the uh, and behind the camera, but now you're cultivating the future ones mm. and you're crafting their minds and you're dropping knowledge and, and the seeds that need to you know just flourish into this entire bed of Latino roses out there. So I think that's incredible that you're touching the life cycle solely. And they're. Awesome. I got to tell you, the students are awesome. And I, I just think that they're teaching me stuff. I mean, I, I'm giving them the knowledge of the basics, but like, you know, unfettered from the like Hollywood where they go here, we're looking for another show about, you know, t- late t- year 20 somethings that are hanging out friends, or we're looking for this, we're looking for a workplace comedy. We're looking for this, we're looking for that because they have none of that. Mm-hmm. Like in my television pilot class, they come in and they pitch me like, I want to do an animated show about a kid who finds a book that's got um, Lovecrafty and animated monsters that become his friends. And you're like, mm, wow. great. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, and and um, there's another a student that came in and said, um, I want to do a show that's a teen, like romantic comedy like you would see on TV forever, but it's a girl who's got a crush on the star girl basketball player. And it's nothing about like coming out and it's nothing about like, oh my God, what am I? It's just, I'm a girl with a crush on that girl. I'm gonna try to get her to like me. And that's Uh it. And you're like, yeah, let's do that too. Let's do that too. There's no like hand ringy scene about, hey mom, I'm gay. It's just, let's go, we're doing it. So they are amazing that way. Especially now and in this generation, like there, all these, all these young writers have been influenced by, you know, there's so many shows that you can watch at any given time, you know, um, growing up when you were, um, realizing your love for writing and comedy, was there kind of a go-to show or, you know, that you were like, this is, this is what I want to aspire to. There's a few, there's a few, like I could tell you that when I, um, was a little kid that um, Sanford and Son was a show that was on. Don't know if anybody remembers. Yeah. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, I'm coming for you, Elizabeth. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, people in my family would say, like, oh, we love the Sanford and Son show um, because it's the closest we'll come to being on TV, right? That was the feeling then, right? And then along came Chico and the Man, right? And Freddie Prince. And the Man. Right. Yeah. And so I remember that show. I vividly remember that show. I remember that that pink lowrider in the opening credits. I remember looking good, like which is so funny. Now you grow up and you realize that Freddie was a Puerto Rican. And mm. this this whole like good was all him doing a Mexican accent. And you're like, oh, <laughs> I fucking love it. I love it. Um, but that was a big deal. That was a big deal. I remember when I was very little, but it was so powerful to see him. You know, and to go like, oh, that guy with that thing, like that looks like my uncle. That's okay. And so that was awesome. Now, but even the theme song with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pedro Feliciano, like it just, it was like, it felt authentic, right? It was like, oh, wow. It did. And so, you know, but that was a kid and I didn't really have any idea of what I wanted to do. I think for me, once I got into college and that professor kind of told me you should be a writer, it was the first time I started thinking about it. And so, you know, that's like the late 80s, early 90s. And so like at that time, it was 
more me just remembering because there was nothing that was there. I mean, if you go look on Wikipedia of uh, the entry for Hispanic sitcoms, I think in the 80s, it just says there were none, I think. <laughs> oh, uh, <God>. hilarious. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And so I, I think that, you know, it was just me having these memories of that. And But I would, I would gravitate towards certain things, which were always about the outsiders. Like I loved MASH. Like the whole bunch of that. I loved, I loved happy days. Oh, you know, um, uh, I liked um, the show called The Rockford Files. Remember mm, that? It wasn't, a that show. It wasn't a comedy, but yeah. I loved it. And the reason I loved it is, is like, you know, I had an uncle who lived in a trailer, right? <laughs> and he lived in a trailer <laughs> park. And so, like, it was me kind of piecing together, like, what I felt was representation. Because I'm like, oh, that guy lives in a trailer by the beach. It looks beat up. His car looks like it's dented all the time. Jim Rockford, he could be a Chicano. I'm, I'm in. Jim, you're a Chicano. Like, and wow. so it was me grafting into that. Um, and, and I just think that's kind of what you had to do because it wasn't a lot available to you. Yeah. Peter, I could see you writing a book, right? I could see you writing an autobiography or something like that because you have such a, you know, a long career, illustrious career. I want to ask you right now, put you on the spot. What would be the title of your autobiography? Ooh, oh. good one. Ooh. All right, give me a sec. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Maybe some music or something. Um, <laughs> I don't know, some Dua Jeopardy? Lipa. Final Jeopardy music, maybe? Final Jeopardy? Final Jeopardy music. Give me some Final Jeopardy. Okay, let's do it like Latinos. We'll add it. Yeah, we'll add it. Yeah, Frank, too much. That might be more distracting than that. I guess I'm going to reach back and do a callback to something we started off the interview with. I'm going to say the autobiography would be called uh, My House Should Have Been a Lot Goddamn Bigger. Yes! Oh! Yes! Yes! Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you guys, please. Peter, thank you so much for all of this. That's Put great. your hands together one time for El Señor Peter Murrieta. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you for supporting us. Thank you for what you're doing out there for our people. Thanks for being And how can yeah. those that want to follow you do so? Super easy. Um, Mighty Peter on Twitter. I'm Mighty Peter on Instagram. And uh, that's it. I also have Facebook. And uh, the rule on Facebook is if we have more than one mutual friend, I take you. So you can try. Ooh, it's pretty I like easy. That. That's a good filter. Yeah. That's it. That's oh, it. Oh, that's okay. all it is. So you can find me. I'm out there. Nice. And when I, when I, and I, you know, I look at messages and, check in every once in a while. And I talk to other showrunners like, um, uh, Dalen Rodriguez, who runs queen, queen of the South. Um, you know, she, she and I were, I don't remember what we were doing, a panel of some sort. And we both coincidentally were like, Oh yeah. When we have time, if people have something they want to ask, you know, if they're not asking for a job, but they want to point or have a question, I, I check my messages. <laughs> it's amazing. It's incredible. Uh, and we need that. We cool. need you. Yeah. And we need to know that we have people like you as well. I was really amazed on just how willing you were to do this and how much information you shared with me. I enjoyed talking to you behind the scenes. And I truly enjoyed having this conversation with you. You're going to empower a lot of people with this information. So thank you. Please, encore applause. Another round of applause. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gracias.